Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. You're in the doghouse, and we're not at a baseball game. Let's talk about it, both the present and the future of Diamond Dog Baseball here in the doghouse on the Believe Podcast Network. This is your host, David Murray, and welcome back into the doghouse, brought to you by betonline.ag, where the game starts. The game and the season finished for Mississippi State yesterday afternoon. As we reported, of course, in the game story, the Diamond Dogs knew even before they began play at 3.30 or so on Saturday that their season was ending that day. Now, as it turns out, of course, the move from 2 to 3.30 was not done so that the Bulldogs and Coach Chris Lamontis would know what had happened with LSU Georgia. Uh, it's tempting to think that, and certainly I was tempted to think that myself. And Coach Lamontis even kind of semi-dropped a clue in that direction, but after I asked for a clarification, he made clear, no, they really did expect weather. It never came, at least maybe there were a few spits of rain as I was leaving the stadium about uh, 8.30 or so after writing the wrap-up story. But the, never, the weather never materialized. Uh, what did was LSU lost to Georgia. The season was done no matter what happened with Vanderbilt, Arkansas, which only mattered in the ultimate SEC seedings and standings. And as it turned out, it meant that uh, Florida will be your SEC number one seed, and both Florida and Arkansas are SEC champions. There are no co-champions. Each one's an equal champion in all full rights and regards. Yeah, that's at one end of the SEC. Down here at the other, well, Mississippi State did not finish last for a second straight season. They have done that before, by the way, and not all that long ago. 2008, last year for Ron Polk, and 2009, first year for John Cohen. State was dead last in Mist Hoover, and they finally made it back to the SEC tournament in 2010. And in 2011, really, is when it took off, of course, and started what, by any measure, those next 11 years, even including the COVID year, have to rank as the best decade of Bulldog baseball ever. Yes, I'm including everything that happened in the 1980s, maybe not as many SEC championships, but more trips to the College World Series, more wins in Omaha, and of course a national championship. All that said, that was two years ago. I've still got the caps and a shirt. I've still got the great memories. And in fact, here in my office in Starkville, I'm looking up the wall where Kathy put together a shadow box of my credentials and some other material from Omaha 2021, uh, even including the pin and that I kept my scorecard on for all those games. Great times. Not just good times. Great times. The greatest. So are these the worst times for Diamond Dog Baseball? Well, I'm not going to be the typical old dog and say, oh, you kids don't know what bad really is. Even though that can be true, certainly in football, even I don't know how bad it is because I didn't live through the 50s and 60s with state football. Baseball, though, we come to expect that, yes, there'll be the occasional down year, but extended downs, that is not only not expected, it's almost not accepted. And I say almost. If the other major sports had two really bad seasons of this order, it's almost, and I repeat almost, because circumstances can vary. If a guy's in a rebuilding situation, they'll cut him some slack. Or maybe some circumstances beyond control happen. I get that. But generally, if football has two really, really bad years, they're going to make a change. If basketball has two really, really, really bad years, well, they didn't with Rick Ray, but again, that was an unusual situation. But still, they're going to make a change nowadays because it's just so competitive and, frankly, in the nature of the fan bases today, 
And the media attention given today, where there's a lot less thought and a whole lot more speech, schools and programs, whether college or professional, don't tolerate well the the flashback from a two-season run of not just mediocrity, but plain bad play. And Mississippi State has had two baseball seasons of plain bad play. So, Chris Lamonis, he will be returning by all indications. Now, I... Went into the weekend thinking that would probably be the case, regardless of what happened with the A&M series. So let's not go out and assume that just because Amani Larry hit a walk-off shot in Friday night's game to win it, that that changed any minds over in Lee Hall or in the Bryan building. I, I don't think that was the case. I really believe that decision, or maybe you could call it a non-decision, but a decision nonetheless, had been made in advance for several reasons. One, if you're going to make that kind of call, you're going to bang it just about immediately because, let's see, the transfer portal opens up a week from tomorrow. You've got a recruiting class that has to be held together in this era of transfers. You've also got uh, players uh, looking out for their NIL deals, either existing or future. I know technically that's not legal, but you know it's happening everywhere. And uh, also not legal, but you also know that's happening. You have other programs not the schools themselves directly or the coaches, that would be naughty, but the fan base and supporters reaching out to players around the country. And yeah, there are going to be some guys at Mississippi State who are going to be targeted by these offers. That's just expected nowadays. It's, it's part of the game you play with. And of course, the Major League Draft is July with what, 17, 19, right after the portal window closes. Well, I think State decided to go ahead and stay the course. A couple of reasons. One, Chris Lamonis has what no other Diamond Dog coach, make that no Mississippi State coach ever, has to show a national championship ring. He's got the real thing. He took State to a height that was never achieved before by a legendary coach, by some very good coaches. A whole bunch of all-time players did not do what the 21 team did. Now, were there better teams than 21? Yeah, we can name a few of those, and you can too. But they did it. They won it, and they don't win it if Chris Lamonis is not the coach. I'm certain there are other coaches that could have, but not many. Let's not get past that point. What Lamonis did was not a fluke. He coached well in 2021. I think he coached well in 2019. You could say he inherited a veteran team. He did. He inherited a team with Jake Mangum, with Elijah McNamee, with a whole bunch of guys who'd been through the ringer and knew how to win games and knew how to handle losing games, more to the point. But he proved to me in 2019 that he had the right approach because he did not try to make it, quote, his team. He let that team be themselves, and they went to Omaha and, of course, played well in the SEC. You know, set records for attendance of the regional at the time, which were smashed in 21. 21 was much more his team, and I still recall, ironically, talking to Lamonis uh, outside the dugout in Omaha in 19, just before State's last game. I believe, was it Louisville? Yeah, played Louisville, chatting about the future, and he said he wasn't worried about 2020. He was worried about 2021 because the guys they were losing, like Jordan Westberg and Justin Foscue and JT Ginn, people like that. Irony of ironies, that's the team that wins it all. But what we're seeing now is not so much the fallout from 2021. What we're seeing is the fallout from 2020 and 2021 recruiting and lack of development, maybe some misvaluations. Well, 
probably some missed evaluations, but also just plain lack of development by guys that just simply have not panned out or turned into what they were expected to be. Does that fall under coaching? Yes. Everything that happens in the program, short of injuries, falls under the rubric of coaching. It has to, because that's why you were a coach of the program. Good, bad, indifferent, ultimately the responsibility falls at your door. Chris Lamonis has not shied away from taking responsibility for the 2022 and 2023 seasons. And by the way, uh, all who were upset out there that we in the press conference yesterday following the last game of the season did not ask him why coming off his promises of 2022 to make the changes and get things better, it didn't happen. Well, that's not the sort of thing you do in a press conference setting. You do it in one-on-one interviews. Hopefully we can get one of those sometime uh, before the summer's over, but Lamonis is about to be, no, let me strike that. Lamonis is very busy. We'll talk more about how busy he is after we take care of our sponsor, which we're a few minutes overdue on this uh, promo. Bet Online is your number one source for all your basketball. Yep, they're thinking basketball out at Bet Online because the playoffs are underway. All your basketball information, stats, news, and scores. Get the latest odds and lines and the latest matchup reports for this year's NBA playoffs. Bet Online is your social intel headquarters this season, as we have you covered for all your insider sports wagering needs from basketball, Major League Baseball, National Hockey League, golf, ultimate fighting, and boxing, and more. The fastest and easiest way to get your betting information, live betting options, and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your home. Get in the action today, so head to the website or use your mobile device to join up, and be sure to use our promo code BLEAV, that's capital B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. All right, where do we start now talking about the state of state? Well, there's not a whole lot of need to hash what went wrong this season. Well, we will some, but those of you who followed it closely can say pitching, pitching, uh, lack of timely offense, pitching, uh, bad defense, pitching, and some just plain bad personnel decisions and lineups and pitching and so on and so forth. By the way, I found a curious stat today. I was going through the SEC season-only stats. I think when you've played 30 games, even if a lot of schools didn't play each other, parenthetically, how did Missouri manage to miss playing both LSU and Arkansas in the regular season? Hopefully those Tigers run into the real Tigers and uh, Razor Swine somewhere in Hoover this week, but that's another topic. So... It was an interesting year in SEC baseball in a lot of aspects. Um, One number that jumps out to me, again, this is league-only play. 666 home runs were hit. Now, that's just plain demonic and evidence that SEC baseball deserves a reasonable strike zone and some pitchers who pitch more than just throw hard. Yes, that's a, a private gripe here, but I truly believe that the state of pitching, both in the SEC and college baseball in general, has been really hurt by the tighter wrapped ball, by the um, grading of umpires, which has them hesitating to call quite as many strikes, making pitchers throw it closer. And again, pitchers are throwing more than they're pitching, and they're pitching to older batters too because college baseball is old this year. That COVID year is still rippling through the process, plus the uh, smaller draft, because remember, they cut their draft to five rounds in 2020. It's been two rounds since then, uh, 20 rounds, And so while any pitcher worth a darn has been drafted and most signed, there's been a whole lot of position players who chose to go back to college because the signing bonuses are only $25,000. 
That's guys who've seen every kind of slider that a college pitcher can throw. And by the senior year, sometimes a fourth, fifth junior year, they're ready to get up there and hit just about anything that can come their way. And I think it's shown in the offensive stats and certainly in the ridiculous home run totals of this past season, which are returning to the really bad, bad, bad old days of 1998. Yeah, I was around for Gorilla Ball. Never enjoyed it then. Don't enjoy it now. Okay, getting that stuff out of the way. Mississippi State. Well, let's start with the semi-positive stuff first for this past season. And I say semi because it is a very mixed bag on the offensive side. The state came in third and slugging in SEC games only this year, thanks to plenty doubles and a whole bunch of homers again. Not as many as last year, but still uh, a high total by historic standards. And surprisingly, this order, or the various orders, were actually pretty good at drawing walks and didn't strike out nearly so much as it appeared for those of us following the game at the time. You know, strikeouts tend to stand out more even than home runs, but by SEC standards, they weren't terrible at striking out. What they were not particularly good at was hitting for average, hitting consistently. Uh, Let me kind of sum it up. There were a couple of dogs in the SEC's top 15 for slugging average, Uh, There were, of course, a couple of them in the home run leaders, Hunter Hines, obviously, and in the doubles. But State did not have a single player in the top 15 for on-base percentage. Now, does that not point out the contradiction of this offensive team? That they could get up there and occasionally hit it deep, the big dramatic shot, but it wasn't consistent enough to win enough games, certainly not with the pitching staff as it was. They grounded into the league-worst 27 double plays. That also shows a lack of speed and maybe why the team stopped running pretty much midseason with the exception of David Mershon and um, Amani Larry. Oh, and by the way, in 30 SEC games, Bulldogs were only hit by pitches 17 times. Think about that. Does that tell you that nobody was crowding the plate looking for a base hit or an infield single. No, they were backed off getting a big swing for a double or home run and said, by contrast, LSU batters were hit 61 times and they still hit home runs despite being on top of the plate. So there's something about the offensive approach that really, really needs to be addressed in this coming season. And that was the least of state's problems. Yeah, let's go to the pitching. Last in earned run average. Last in batting average. Last in hits, last in runs, last in walks, and last in home runs with 73 bombs allowed in 30 games. That's almost two and a half per SEC game. When you go into a league game knowing you're going to give up two or three home runs, and in State's case, how many of those, I haven't counted it, so don't expect this is a rhetorical question, how many of those were with one or two runners on bases already? And how many of those home runs came after a close call for a walk or a defensive error? Maybe to me that points out the glaring weaknesses of pitching staff and maybe the team as a whole. I just don't think they were mentally tough in a lot of areas. Oh, they were gritty in so many other aspects. They kept playing. They didn't give up and write off games. Okay, maybe the Arkansas game on Sunday, you could say they kind of threw in the towel. But... What I mean is, when something went bad for them, particularly the pitching, they would come back and just get killed on the next at-bat. And then, ironically, after the bases are clear, they typically would get a strikeout. 
it was just so painful to watch so many times. And yes, that happened this past weekend, uh, yesterday, in fact, watching a home run get smashed and the next guy is struck out just fine as if nothing happened. So there's just something lacking in how the Diamond Dogs and the pitchers in particular handled adversity. Let's see, they were next to last in wild pitches, next to last in plunkings. Nearly eight batters every SEC game got a free pass of some sort compared to just over nine strikeouts per game. That is not a winning ratio in and of itself, never mind all the worst stuff like the average and the runs given up. Oh yeah, only two saves all season. Now, yes, that reflects the fact that State was rarely in a save situation to begin with, but how many games are, yeah, Auburn jumps out. Uh, even going back to opening day, Kentucky, you, you're there with a lead in the last inning. Just hold on to it. Yeah, this past weekend, you're leading on Friday against A&M. Hold that lead in the ninth inning. State did not get saves. Whether it was a giving up a home run, typically they did. I, I really need to run some kind of stat there. No, I don't want to do it. Not going to do it. But just uh, because another thing that maybe stands out more than the statistics, but certainly impacts the thinking about the game of the team, I just want to wonder how many times State gave up a home run in the first inning and a home run in the ninth inning. That might be worth a study for somebody else, not me. I'm kind of tired of going through these numbers because they just tend to wear you down. And don't really need to say a whole lot about the defense, except uh, it wasn't good. Um they weren't worst in the SEC in defense, by the way. Uh, there are a couple teams in SEC play that had more errors than the Bulldogs. Tennessee, for one. Not a lot more, but still more. So technically, we can't say it was the worst defense in the league, but realistically, it was. Because errors are not always a great reflection fielding percentage. The, in fact, often a good defensive team will have a few more errors because guys get to balls and then make a bad throw or force something with it just because they're better defenders. Poor defenders don't get to the nearly as many tough plays, therefore don't make as many errors on those tough plays. So keep in mind that those raw percentages aren't absolute guides, but they're decent indications. So that's kind of running through what went wrong. Yeah, injuries were involved, and uh, particularly to the bullpen. I think... If you have some guys back from 2021 and 2022 who were injured and are still recovering, uh, what, Stone Simmons, Brooks Auger, and a few others, you're probably in position to seal up a couple more games and you're playing in Hoover this week. But that kind of just moves the goalpost only a little. Uh, Mississippi State's ambition is not playing in Hoover. Of course, we haven't done it now for, what, 2021 was the last time. And then, of course, no tournament in 20. And in 19, they were only there for three games. So the SEC tournament, which Mississippi State, more than any other program, is responsible for being what it is today, the mammoth event. It was the crowds that State started drawing, even as far back as the old 10-team league, 10 team league, when four teams would show up on old duty Noble field and the place would be just absolutely packed for league play. Then you go on to the years when it was an expanded conference and Startwood host. Well, that's why they moved it to Hoover, and after messing up a couple of years in the 90s, settled on Hoover permanently. And Mississippi State is almost the inventor of the modern SEC tournament, and the Bulldogs aren't there. Now, we've been not there before. 
I go back to uh, the years after Pat McMahon left. It seemed like every even year, and truly 2000, let's see, 2004, 2006, 2008, the state didn't go to the SEC tournament. Of course, uh, 2009, they did not either. But this is different. A 12 team out of 14 teams, and you're missing the conference tournament, that's hard to do. And yet states made it look awfully easy the last couple of years by just finishing with single-digit SEC wins. But that still, again, misses the point that the SEC tournament is not Mississippi State's ambition. It's expected. It's supposed to be a step in the process. And the Bulldogs are supposed to come back and go to NCAA tournament play the next week, preferably hosting, if not as a national seed, then certainly as one of the top 16 teams. This program has the resources, the support, the reputation, the presence in the sport still, despite two bad years, that you start and you're, you're thinking, will there be a regional in Starville this year? Not just uh, could it happen, but it should happen. Well, now it's not. And frankly, it's going to be a big open question for 2024 as well, because there is a whole, whole, whole lot that needs to be done. So let's let's start looking to the future now that we spent 20 minutes grumping about the past, and I mean the immediate past. Where to start? Well, let's start with the defense and the lineup. Um, on each corner, for sure. There was no true third baseman on the roster this year, and uh, given expected departures, none for 2024. And while Hunter Hines can certainly slug it, though he only had one home run in his last nine games, first base requires a guy, a good hand with a glove, and quick feet. Now, he'll get every chance to earn the job, and he has played it before, but you just need a more dynamic defender at the first base, and you need a guy who is a security blanket for the left-side infielders who believe they can just chunk it over there, and the first baseman's going to make them look good. And that hasn't been the case for the last couple of years, you know, you know, all praise to Luke Hancock for the job he did, but still, State needs a true first baseman. They've been missing now for a couple of seasons. No coincidence there. And, of course, third base speaks for itself. Uh, do we expect uh, Slate Oliver to come back? Probably not. And just Some things have just gone wrong there. I'd be really surprised if he is. What about David Mershon? Well, the kid, he gives it a go. Goodness, he is a ball player. But I sure would rather see him move to second base to fit his skill set because I could really see a Jeffrey Ray 2.0 there, and only he's faster. Now, he can play shortstop. He can do a fine job there, but um, a lot of this depends, too, on what Amani Larry decides to do because he has another year left, but he's also 23 years old. So what's he thinking at this point? Now, Mississippi State has signed a good shortstop. In fact, they've got two coming in from the high school class. So if, you, if he pr- produces, either one of them produced, then you've got a chance to move Mershon and solid up the midfield. But you've just got to, I think, this is me talking, I think you've got to go to the portal and find a true first baseman and a true third baseman and then see if somebody from the signing class develops. Is that tricky? Could that run off somebody from the signing class? Sure. That's something college coaches just have to deal with now. The portal is going to be the enemy of your high school recruiting class because guys can go through the fall semester, see that the portal player is going to have that position, and bail on you. You're A, left with no depth, and B, left with no future, so you're back in the portal a year later. But I'm afraid that's just how it's going to have to be in college baseball from now on. It's almost going to be 
professional baseball with a roster turning over every year. Let's see, um, behind the plate, Ross Highfield, he made some strides there as a catcher and maybe even at the expense of his hitting, which was supposed to be his freshman season strength. He'll be fine as the catcher for going ahead, but a backup is needed, and that will probably have to come from the portal as well. I spent part of the game yesterday, once we knew it was uh, pretty well settled, debating with Mike Nemeth in the press box. We agree that Dakota Jordan can probably play center field just fine, though left field may still be the easier spot for him with that arm. Either way, State has to go get a big-time right fielder who can handle that much tougher defensive situation and bring some punch at the plate. Then you got the choices of Bryce Chance, Connor Hysack. <coughs> Excuse me there. You see what you do with those guys. Uh, I, I, Jordan, I just watched the guy, and he, you know, somebody in the message board today was talking about uh, maybe he could be a, another Palmero or a Clark. In that, in, well, he's not in that class yet. I, I think I would classify him much more as Hunter Renfro because those who remember – he spent his first full season trying to figure out what was he. Was he a pitcher? Was he a catcher? Was he an outfielder? By the sophomore season, they said, no, you're an outfielder. Stick with it. Here's a position you're going to play. And by the junior season, he was a first-round draft pick. I think Dakota Jordan can definitely be that. I'm not so worried as I was once upon a time about the portal coming and getting him, although he's certainly going to get offers coming in from uh, subliminal sources out there. Mississippi kid, I think he likes it here at State. Um, but again, who knows? It's just such a wild world now with guys looking for things that maybe we don't know. And perhaps that's another reason why Mississippi State decided to go ahead and stay the course for the consistency and uh, awareness the players have of who their coach is going to be without spending the next couple of weeks wondering about that. So I don't know what to do with Aaron Downs or Nate Chester. I think both can swing the bat. I think both can find a place in the field, but that also goes back to what do you bring in the portal? And it doesn't hurt certainly to have some depth there because there's going to be some serious turnover on this. You know, Robbie list, uh, I think right now, 25 commits. I believe one may have dropped off since then, but still 25. Now consider that when you can only have 27 on your active roster for a season. Yes. Some of them come in expecting to red shirt, but still, if you're committing 25 players even before the season started, you know there's going to be a huge exodus planned already. And now, after the season's over, uh, they're having team meetings even as we speak here right now. Think of what's being said in there, some really hard things being asked and told on both sides between coach and players about what the future holds. And that's another thing about uh, had there been a coaching change. And by the way, we're still we're still operating that Chris Lamonis will be the head coach because nothing we've heard or seen indicates otherwise. He certainly did not sound like a man yesterday who believed he might be losing his job, and new athletic director Zach Selman does not appear in any hurry to make any kind of move there. If you were going to make a move, it needed to be done quickly, so let's just operate from that vantage point. There was going to be turnover regardless if State stuck with Lamonis or changed coaches. That's just the nature of the game. But Lamonis, if he stays, well, which we assume he is, he's still got to find a pitching coach. And he said yesterday, quote, thousands of calls about it. And I'm sure that doesn't mean thousands of people, just that uh, many repeated phone calls involving the same people. And certainly we expect that the guys he is targeting already have jobs right now, most likely uh, jobs that have them 
and their teams in postseason play, where their conference tournament are on to the NCAA tournament the next week later. But that move has got to be made quickly because, again, portal opening on the 29th, you've got to tell your current players, your current pitchers especially, you need to tell your recruited pitchers, and you most definitely need to tell transfer portal pitchers who their coach is going to be. And of all the above I said about the defensive order and the potential batters out there, without a complete, and I do mean complete, makeover of the pitching staff, everything is mooted. So what's going to happen with the veteran pitchers? Well, Cade Smith does have another year if he wants to use it or needs to use it because, remember, it's only a 20-round draft now. And I think back to State's opening SEC weekend. If they had had him available, how would that first game at Kentucky have gone, the one that State lost in the last inning after leading? And maybe would that have made a huge difference here at the end of the SEC season because getting swept up at Lexington, it did more than put three losses on the record. I think it was a serious blow to team confidence coming on the heels of how the 2022 season ended. Now, they did bounce back from it and had the win. They won the series at Alabama, which now looks like a better win. No jokes about what was going on with the Crimson Tide at the time. And certainly beating Ole Miss was the highlight of the regular season. In fact, the only season. So you continue your domination of the rival. And by the way, of course, Ole Miss uh, duplicated Mississippi State's feat of finishing last in the SEC uh, and outright last a year after winning a national championship. And we were talking about that in the press box yesterday, too. It's not just one of the odds of that happening in the same conference where the defending national champions each the next year finish last in their own league. It happened in the same state, for goodness sakes. Hey, Southern Miss, uh, if you win the national title this year, why don't you just plan on writing off 2024 and enjoying it? Because right now, I think that's what we wish in Diamond Dog Country we had spent 2022 doing, and they probably feel the same way up in Oxford right now as well. And I only say that kind of, sort of, in joke. All right, back to the pitching. Durangelo, hey, let's see. It's hard not to get caught up in the potential of a guy who can throw with both hands and who at times when he's on and when he's getting the breaking ball to fall or getting it to fool people, especially the high stuff, and think this guy could really become an ace. But you watch him in other games and think maybe he's a lifetime Sunday guy, game three guy. What is he? I don't think he knows. And without until we get a pitching coach, to really settle things down, I don't think Mississippi State knows. May not even know going into the next season. He has the tools, but kind of an odd comment yesterday from um, Lamonis about how they tweaked something with him. You wait until the last day of the season to start tweaking something with a starting pitcher? That's not exactly an encouraging thought, but hey, what do we know? I mean, that's all inside the program. Maybe a legitimate reason. Because in his last four starts, he only averaged 50 pitches with an equal ratio of walks to strikeouts. And he only threw a little over nine innings, giving up 20 runs. Part of that is just simply he wore down. He was throwing a lot of pitches in March and April. He's a freshman, a true freshman, first time pitching at this level, first time pitching serious baseball. So, yeah, naturally there's going to be some grind down effect, and I don't think given that, that he would have been particularly effective in postseason play. He's just tired. 
And to that end, I think he's going to take it easy this summer. At least that was the comment that we heard yesterday, that he will probably spend the summer instead of playing in some league somewhere. He will probably stay around, work on technique, and just relax the arm and get ready for a sophomore season, particularly a sophomore fall camp. That's the expectation. We'll see what actually happens there. So the state get some guys back off injury? Yeah, several. Will they be ready to make a difference again? You just never know coming off the surgeries what Stone Simmons or, or Auger are going to be capable of there. I look at Bradley Lofton. You watch him pitch and think this guy could be the real deal, and then you look at the stats, way, way, way too many walks given it, he was just throwing 20 innings. But he was done by April 7th, just as SEC action began, and he pitched okay at Alabama in his one league appearance there, and then he shut down. So do you really know? Uh, do you find another Landon Gartman in the portal? And by the way, Gartman can be back if he wants to, or even if he doesn't want to, but has to because the draft doesn't take him. You know, like Tyler Davis, the draft stock just doesn't seem to be there right now, but a lot can change between now and the end of July because pitchers, all it takes is somebody to like you, somebody to like your potential. Like Kellum Clark, he didn't have a great career in his three years. We certainly expect him to go in the draft. He's been projected somewhere in the top ten rounds on pure physical ability. Love Kellum in so many aspects, but... uh, he never turned into a star in that regard, but he's got speed, he's got the arm, and if he can lay off the breaking stuff and wait for something in the zone, he can send it a long ways. Maybe in some aspects he's typical. Um, eh, no, I wouldn't say typical because he still was a solid player, and in that sense a success story. Let's not downgrade it. But I get back to the missed evaluations on several other players that just didn't pan out, particularly the pitching staff. And again, I refuse to use injuries because everybody has injuries. Everybody. And frankly, there are some SEC peers that got hit a whole lot harder, particularly in their rotation roles or even in their bullpen, LSU and others, at least as hard and maybe harder than Mississippi State. So you can't use that as an excuse either. You've got some relief guys and matchup guys coming back, you know, such as a Brock Tapper. Now, will Aaron Nixon get drafted highly enough to leave, or does it matter? Does he want to leave? That, that's one of those questions that only the draft is going to show. Don't have to worry about him transferring because he's used his transfer mulligan, and that applies to several other dogs. So you can look at the ones who came in through the portal last year and figure they're either going to draft or they're coming back for another year because they're not going to sit out a season at this stage of their life. But I still go back to the fact that you have two score commits and uh, probably more at this point. I'm sorry, a score. I'm getting all my numbers confused at this point. But that's a, that's a lot. So you're already counting on massive turnover. And now it's going to be all the more massive based on performance or lack of performance, based on who is coming in with your veteran team. And you're still trying to work the portal at this point because I honestly believe, and I don't think anyone will argue, State has to find so many different types of pitchers out there. So all my questions about the defensive lineup really may have to be put on the back burner. Fix the pitching staff. Find a pitching coach. Fix the pitching staff. And then let the other parts fall into places because you're going to be able to plug people in as long as you pitch the ball well. Now, State does have some returning talent, obviously. 
Lamonis made frequent comments yesterday about how young this team was, and, and relatively speaking, he was because the SEC was an old league this year. A look at A&M, loaded with juniors and seniors who will be gone next season. Uh, Jace LaViolette, unfortunately, will be back, but uh, he won't be. You can only see him a couple times a year, so I'm not worried about another three home run game out of him. Fingers crossed. Certainly, uh, don't pitch to him after the two of them anyway. Another parenthetical comment. I should not say that because that comes across as second guessing coaching decisions. We try not to do here, but sometimes in baseball, it's just inevitable. Point being, everybody else in the SEC that State matches up with Familiar is going to get hit hard this year by the draft. By graduation, their COVID years are starting to run out. State, the COVID years are still a factor, but it's time to push some of those players out. Several are going to leave of their own accord. I I just think a couple of them, particularly guys who lost their jobs this season, not to call any names, I just think they're, uh, what's the word Mike used yesterday, broken emotionally and just need some place to go find a fresh start or to finish out their college careers, that's probably best for them and best for Mississippi State as well. But what Lamonis and staff are going to do with the roster and shape it up, well, you've got weeks to find out now because, as said, the portal runs 45 days, opening up a week from tomorrow. So, And Chris Lamonis, by all appearances, now is going to be in charge. If there was going to be a change make, I honestly believe it had to be done by today oh, for several reasons. One, you're not going to do it on Monday, if only because you're not going to step on the Ferris Awards. Not just the award itself, but that's Boo Ferris. That's one of Mississippi State's legends. You don't overshadow him. You're not going to draw the attention while the SEC tournament's getting started. And then you have the NCAA tournament on top of it. So at this point, every indication is that Chris Lamonis is back for a sixth season and a chance to rebuild after two seasons that nobody saw coming and nobody has in the least bit enjoyed. Even the players who played well could not have enjoyed this season. So what's the future for Bulldog baseball? Well, we're going to have it. It's just too big a deal here. It's been interesting watching sometimes uh, during March and April a few are renegade message board folk trying to say, hey, to drop your support for baseball and come do this sport, that sport. That doesn't work here. Baseball fans are baseball fans. It doesn't mean they don't like the other sports. It means our passion is with baseball. And I'm one of those. Yes, football is the big dog, but I love baseball. In fact, if I was to say I have a home at Mississippi State, it's the press box at Duty Noble Field. It's just something about it. Not just because the history of the program, it's the atmosphere of the program, even in the down years. And that, to me, is why Mississippi State, even in the NIL era, and let's make no bones about it, NIL is going to be an uphill battle for Mississippi State. Yes, here too. Because the demands of all sports to get that NIL money is going to be spread thin. Bless Charlie Winfield and the Bulldog Initiative because they have such a monumental job ahead of them at least until the NCAA either falls apart or state laws start taking over to do this. And that's a debate for a whole other time, what's going to happen with NIL. Uh, also, the other debate, we expect to know in a couple of weeks what the future of SEC football scheduling is, and we'll be talking about that certainly as we grind into June once Mississippi State's future slate is known, who the permanent opponents are, what happens to the Power 5 mandate. 
Oh, goodness, I'm verging off into that sport because baseball's over and football is already grabbing attention. Well, in fact, uh, as my talk with Zach Arnett showed last week, it never really loses attention. But here at Mississippi State, baseball matters. It always matters. And that's why we can have confidence that as bad as these two seasons have been, and whatever next season holds, whether a rebuild or more of the same and a change has to be made, eventually the program will get back because it does. It matters too much for it to be anything else here. It's special here. It's unique here. There's a great program to this league. Sometimes that you can even say there are better programs in this league. But there's no place where baseball is as special as it is at Mississippi State And that's the difference, and that's why we care. And because we care, it's going to get better because we won't have it any other way as fans and supporters and even media for the program. So that's our doghouse for today. We've run through a lot of territory. Uh, What? Oh, 40 minutes. I really got up and going there. So as news breaks, of course, we'll be doing future doghouses, staying on the weekly schedule here. Maybe not a whole lot to talk about, uh, at least until SEC spring meetings take place. But you know what? We're also going to watch uh, NCAA tournament baseball. And we're going to be checking the SEC, SEC tournament baseball because baseball matters. And we want to see what the peers are doing. But we're going to be following what Lamonis and staff are doing, what players decide in the, as far as the portal, who the recruits are, who the outgoing dogs are, getting ready for the draft as well. It's Yes, football is forever, but at Mississippi State, it's also always baseball season. Even when baseball season itself is over, as happened yesterday, there are no games left, but there's still a lot of action to happen with Bulldog baseball. And there's still a lot to talk about in the doghouse, and we'll be doing it in coming weeks, as usual. And thank you for listening in today. Keep our sponsor, betonline.ag, in mind where the game starts. And if you like what you've been hearing or uh, just at least casually enjoy what you've been hearing, give us a like on Apple Podcast. How about it? Well, thank you. This is David Murray. I've enjoyed talking with you. I've enjoyed covering Bulldog baseball for the season and much more to talk about as far as that football and basketball in our podcast to come. For the Doghouse, thank you, and let's have a good one. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.